It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, welcome to the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast. I am your host, Carrie. Woohoo, Carrie! Hey, I'm Larissa. Yes. I'm here. I'm having a Moscow mule, so that makes me extra happy today. You are totally into your, you literally sound like you are like full Colorado aesthetic right now. I am coming live to you from the high plains of Colorado. And let me tell you that if you hear thunder, it's because one minute this place unicorns and ponies, right? Thunder down under. And the next minute you're literally in hell's asshole with a tornado warning, hail. I mean, like the sun's shining on one side of the yard and on the other side, there's lightning and thunder. So be prepared. It will legit snow there though in the winter or in the summer. It will. It's, it, it, you can have like a 60 degree temperature change in one day. Yeah. So it's insane. On the Great Plains. I'm hoping to see like a UFO or something tonight. We're meeting with Brandy Edwards, who, with her sister and late father, saw and videotaped a massive UFO over San Luis Valley about 10 years ago. Now, this UFO was sighted by hundreds of people. We were supposed to go on a camping trip that day, me and my father, and I, my dad told me to go outside. And as I was looking around, I noticed this cigar-shaped object hovering around in the sky. I went and got my father, and he came outside. And then finally, he seen the object in the sky, and he ran and got his video camera, and we filmed it for over an hour. After this sighting, the video was analyzed by experts who were unable to match the UFO with any conventional aircraft. The object had no sound, hovered for about an hour, and then shot across the entire sky instantaneously. So, you know how I've been like completely obsessed with Louise? That, yeah. that social. What happened with her? Okay. She's still going through court stuff with her ex-partner, ex-partner in quotes. Wait, they weren't husband and wife? No, it was always reported that they were. And then she was upset. Just to backtrack, we're talking about the socialite that accidentally killed very voluptuous superintendent, yes. uh, police superintendent. Was he police? Was he superintendent? A, yeah, yeah. On the pier while he was like helping her show her a gun or whatnot. And she's the one that loved to like party with the locals, party girl, party girl, party girl. Mm-hmm. And then she was upset that his family turned his back on them after it all came out, which by the way, they probably were just tolerating her for all those years anyways. Like, I don't yeah. know why they thought that she would, they would be rallying. And she accused him of holding the kids from her and he left the country with the kids. Well, now it came out that in 2019, he got rowdy on an airplane and got arrested for drunken disorderly. I think those two were party buddies. Oh, the rich husband did? Yes. So, so they're not, no, they're not married. They're not married though, right? No, negative. Party buddies who accidentally happened to have kids, right? Yes. Maybe? And on a resort hotel kind of deal, which he offered her a very small sum to buy her out. Wait, how is she partners in this hotel? I don't know. Apparently he's pushing her to sign papers to relinquish any money or kind of because she, he said that you're going to ruin our business. Well, this is what's weird. They're not married. So how can they, unless she put money into it, I don't understand how she has any legal rights to it. Well, and I don't even know how Belizean law works. No, but I just thought that was interesting. His mugshots out there and everything. I was like, oh, this custody case is there's going to be all kinds of secrets. And not to mention, there's a strong possibility the kids may go to a family member. Yeah. Right. Like neither of them may get the kids. 
It's a shocking confrontation between the socialite accused of killing a top cop in paradise and the billionaire father of her children. Jasmine Harton is relentless as she searches the new luxury resort owned by her boyfriend's family. Nothing says I can't be in here, so I'm here. She strides through the kitchen of the glitzy hotel, and there he is, Andrew Ashcroft, the son of a billionaire British lord. Why won't you let me see the kids, Andrew? Why won't you let me see the children? Why are you stopping me from being at my house and seeing my kids, Andrew? Jasmine's mother is with her. It's going in the newspaper, Andrew. Andrew's running so I can't see my children. Security is literally stopping me from seeing my children right now. Mama, you just got me so high. Someone stop me. I think maybe we should do this every very interestingly enough, we wanted to have this episode recently because you were talking about how you're reading this book. And I was like, oh, that's really odd. That sounds like really much like this 2020 episode I just listened to because I listened <laughs> to the podcast. And then I had stopped midway. I really need to really get the full effect of this story and actually yeah. watch it on TV just <laughs> to watch it so I could see what the people look like and just yeah. like how naked they were with. You didn't even see the episode. He's like, yeah, I was texting my ex-girlfriend and, you know, she wasn't very happy because I was trying to get the ex-girlfriend back. This is a crazy story about a home invasion. A 29-year-old woman being abducted from her boyfriend's home in the middle of the night doesn't happen. People were terrified. This ninja is suddenly in their bedroom waking him up. I've been covering crime for more than two decades. I've never seen anything like it. We're talking about swim goggles, blacked out headphones, giving instructions, full body wetsuits. I mean, when do you hear about things like this? feel like I am some character in this crime drama. I'm like in a movie. The frogman obviously didn't do it. So who did it now? Not only do they tell you they don't believe you, they say we think you killed her. He is the closest person and the last person to have seen Denise alive. There's no question in my mind that you failed this test. And you failed it miserably. You know where she is. I don't know where she is. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. I know the craziest thing. I told him, look, this is going to be a nightmare, and there's no way you're going to be able to pinch yourself and wake up. Yes. Yes. What we're talking about is you and I inadvertently started following the same and deep diving on the same case. Yes. yes. And it is, it's Denise uh, Huskins and Aaron, oh, what is his last name? Aaron Hudis. What? Aaron, who did? What? <laughs> I don't know. I heard, I feel like Aaron that's like a Okay. The book that came out is called Victim F, and it's about the 2015 kidnapping case where it was supposedly a hoax. All I remember at the time is hearing that this was a hoax. And this, this is going to come back later because all you heard was this girl was kidnapped. They thought her boyfriend murdered her, but it ended up being a hoax, which that's all I took away. Even to this day, that's all I took away until I read. Actually, I listened to the audiobook. And may I digress? The man who's playing Aaron in the audiobook is. I almost had to stop listening to the audiobook. Really? I was about to say, oh, is, was it an ex boyfriend? No, he's way over the top. The voiceover artist that they got to do this was, it was just too much. It was like a cross between Shakespeare in the Park and like a telenovela. It was so dramatic. 
and so overreaching. And the the girl talent, the female talent was amazing, but the the guy playing Aaron, I wanted to fucking punch Aaron and it's not his fault because it wasn't him. But I wanted to punch the voiceover guy. March of 2015. This guy and this girl got together. Denise and Aaron got together. But the preface to the story is you're right. He had just broken up with his ex-girlfriend and they were on again, off again, on again, off again. She cheated on him like hardcore. Yeah, the the girl, the ex-girlfriend. The ex-girlfriend. Not the new one. Yeah, we'll call her Jennifer because in the the audio book and in the book, she's known as Jennifer. So Jennifer was a little bit like the village bicycle. I mean, I think everyone took a turn on her at one point. Because she was always cheating on him nonstop. And Aaron loved him some crazy. And they had broken up and he had met Denise, who was another physical therapist. He's a physical therapist. She's a physical therapist. They met out with a group of people one night and he like really took a liking to her. She took a liking to him. And they kind of started lightweight dating. And she kind of looked like his ex-girlfriend, which I think is really what. Yeah. Blondie. I I really feel bad for this chick because she got somebody else's payback totally she comes over to his house one night and this is in Vallejo California I think the the moral of this story is don't ever mess with the Vallejo California Police Department because they essentially suck and sorry about that but (gasps) oh my god I did a huge deep dive on Detective Mustard oh Colonel Mustard in the in the art gallery can I tell you that asshole because I, I watched all the, he got officer of the year in 2015, the year that this happened. Like what kind of bullshit is that? And he's been involved in other cases. Oh, he's just a dick. Mm-hmm. And then the Sesma guy who was actually Jennifer, the ex-girlfriend's affair. He was the one interrogating them also. And he's like, oh, there's nothing. To no do. So, way. Okay. Oh my God. I didn't even know this. So uh, Denise is over at Aaron's house one night. And they are like, he has finally let go of Jennifer. He wants to make this work with Denise. They have dinner. They have a great romantic night. You know, they're, they're in the living room. Then they go up to bed in the middle of the night. All of a sudden there's like someone in front of their faces going, wake up, wake up. He's being asked questions. And at some point the intruder realizes they've got the wrong person. The intruder says, we have a problem. And he says to Aaron, do Denise and your ex-fiance look alike? And he knew your ex-girlfriend's name. Yeah, I just let out this is like guttural sigh. I was like, yes, they both have long blonde hair. And so we got the wrong intel. They're not there for Denise and Aaron. They're there for Aaron and his ex-fiance. They used to live there together and she has moved out. And in fact, only recently, he's gotten all of her stuff out of the house. He said, we have to figure out what we're going to do and, and walks out. Part of me had hoped of if, if this is the wrong person, um, maybe they'll just leave. Deep down, you knew that they weren't going to leave. Yeah. And then the next time he came in, uh, he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take you for 48 hours. Aaron's going to have to complete some tasks. It's never a good outcome when you're taken to a second location. No, I thought that it was probably the beginning of the end of my life. And I could only imagine what was in store for me. And they wake up to red dots on their chest, like someone's got a scope on them, right? 
And the voice is telling them, you know, uh, get out of bed, get out of bed. We, this is a kidnapping. We're going to take a hostage here. So what they did was they thought there were a few different people because they could hear like footsteps around. They could hear different voices. They thought there were anywhere from three to four people. Tell me this does not sound like the Golden State Killer. It's creepy. It's completely. It sounds creepy. like the Golden State Killer. So they're, they're rigging all these, this camera equipment in the house rigging all this audio equipment, telling Aaron, the male, you know, we're rigging all this equipment, you know, don't call anyone, don't talk to anyone. We're going to take Denise. We'll return her in 48 hours if you give us, get this, it was only like $15,000 and it was in $5,000 to $8,000 increments because they didn't want the banks to know. They didn't want to alert the banks, right? What they told the the one guy who ended up being Matthew Muller told Denise is we only take from people who can afford it. We're like Robin Hood. We steal from the rich, but they don't give to the poor. They give to themselves. Can I ask you a question about about that? When I was watching the interview, they kept saying, you're not Jennifer. You're not Jennifer. We got the wrong yes. information. Did I could not find in all my deep dives how he knew who Jennifer was. He must have. He was stalking them, plain and simple. But here's the thing. He wasn't stalking them to the point that he knew that for the past four or five months or even six months, they had called off their engagement. Aaron called off his engagement to Jennifer like six months before. So he was like relying on old information. It sounded to me like he wasn't. Yeah, but it also sounded like he just recently got that girl's shit out of the house. I think there was a little bit more like when I was watching the thing. There was a little bit of drama about that. Not only did she intercept texts and stuff of him wanting to get the girl back, he yeah. just recently got her shit out of the house, which I'm sure was the typical, why is your ex-girlfriend shit still here? We've been yes. together seven months. Like, you're exactly. not over this. You're not in any rush to getting her out. Like, yes. And the whole world now knows all of this, which is even more embarrassing. Oh, it's mortifying. So he ends up kidnapping Denise. And you're right. He said, this is supposed to be for Jennifer. What I didn't get was like, if it's supposed to be for Jennifer, why take Denise at all? Why not just bail on the whole thing? Well, I think, yeah, I think about the bailing thing, but I think also they looked a lot alike. Like he was already too into like too deep. But what I think this boils down to is a sex offender case, because I don't think it ever had to do anything with small amounts of money. I think this guy just got his rocks off on raping women in a weird yeah to go into it it's not like a brutal rape i mean all rape is brutal i'm not saying that rape but he did not manhandle her or oh she said he was like tear her kind or yeah weird rape. i mean that's, that's even probably weirder because you it's harder probably to right away is told that there's a camera on the wall that will be watching his every move. There are tape markings on the ground setting up a perimeter that he can't leave. He puts duct tape around my ankles. He asked me if I'm comfortable. And I was shivering. I asked for a blanket. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize how cold it is because we're wearing wetsuits. Wetsuits. That is a brilliant thing for a criminal to do because you're not going to leave any trace evidence. The intruder explains to him that they're going to communicate with him via text and email, specifically to an email account that they've set up. Tells me I need to stay there till the morning. I have to call in sick to work, and they had given me Denise's passcode to her phone. I need to text her boss and tell him that she had family emergency and was going to be gone for the week. I would need to go to the bank, get the money that they 
requested. I had to keep my phone line open. They're gonna have a camera to monitor me. If I try to communicate, they would hurt Denise. If I went to the police, they would kill her. And they would give me further instructions in the morning. Denise is then being taken away. She doesn't know where she's going and she's scared. He lifts her up, he puts her in Baron's trunk. I knew I just needed to stay focused and calm. Then Aaron's worst nightmare, he hears the trunk of his car get closed. I was afraid I was gonna be the last time I was gonna see her. I used the corner of the couch to push the goggles off and there was a digital clock and it was exactly 5 a.m. So Aaron's desperately trying to keep his eyes open, but the sedative is really making him tired. I just couldn't say I'd pass out, and then my alarm went off, and I called, called in sick. I was able to like wiggle my hands free, and I text our manager, and then I was trying to stay awake, and I just passed out again. I didn't wake up till at 11:30. And when I looked around, it was house with red tape around the borders, defining where I should be, where the camera can see me. Shortly after, emails and texts start coming in from the intruders, giving Aaron instructions. And they tell me they want two payments of 8500 uh, to avoid the $10,000 federal reporting limit. He starts messaging the intruders, and he hears nothing. My mind's racing. It's like 20 minutes, about 30 minutes, and I, I finally calm myself. I start trying to think, and I realize, like, if I sent, give him the money, he could just take me and kill both of us. So I can't trust people who do this. He starts thinking, his brother's an FBI agent. Do I call my brother? Do I call the police? What do I do? Imagine this agonizing period of time. Finally, he makes the decision, I've got to call Ethan, his brother who works for the FBI. His brother instructs him that they always tell you this, to not call 911. They tell you they're going to track you, but you need to call 911 right now. Aaron's holding his breath as he dials. He's doing the exact thing the intruders told him not to do. Yeah, he blindfolds her and then he drugs both of them with benzos and like cough syrup or something that's got, you know, like, like Benadryl or something. Can I tell you something about this part? What? <laughs> this is the part that sounds terrible because apparently he kept nodding off and didn't call 911 and all this stuff. I have taken Ambien in the military. I have taken Tylenol PMs, make me stay up. Like I get really hyper on them. They're talking about how he's like, yeah, he just couldn't keep my eyes open. Depending on what this guy would give, I'd probably be on Craigslist like, posting ads. And oh my God. Can I tell you the weird shit I've done on Ambien? I have to just tell you this one story. <laughs> we were we were shooting wild on and we we're flying to Jamaica on an overnight flight, a red eye. And I took an Ambien and the, the talent was with me. I had like a row to myself. <laughs> and I remember taking an Ambien and I had the dinner in front of me. Mm-hmm. I woke up like five hours later and my cheek was in a pad of butter <laughs> on the tray. I like passed out because I had a glass of wine with it. I passed out in my food and the butter was like on my face. Stuck my Anyway, <laughs> he didn't call the cops right immediately because A, he was out of it and B, um, he was afraid that they were taping his every move because he had this, apparently the camera that was 
filming him in the house kept on having this loud like knocking mm-hmm. noise and so he assumed it was running now whether or not it was in the end it doesn't really say i think not why didn't the brother who's the fbi agent call my one one for him yes exactly especially if they can hear the audio you'd think the fbi brother would be like i'm gonna call the police right away i know he can't call because maybe they're hearing him on the phone yeah i don't know why that didn't happen maybe the fbi brother was just like an admin or something maybe he wasn't an agent when the police got there though they didn't they didn't do anything they didn't take any they didn't take any evidence they were no they tore down the camera and stuff yeah they're like they're like, uh, this is a bunch of bullshit. Come with us. And then Detective or Colonel Mustard in the library grilled him and was wanting to force a confession on him that he killed her. The police are summoned to his home and phase two of the nightmare begins. Aaron's hoping that police are going to come to his rescue, but he is in for a surprise. I'm telling you, it did not happen the way that you're describing it. It did not. Period. I didn't hurt her. I didn't do any of that. They grilled him for like something like five or six hours before they let him call his lawyer. And his lawyer's like, okay, this is going south really quick. You need to lawyer up. So we got a hold of a lawyer. And the weird thing was, is like in the beginning, they were just trying to look up lawyers in the phone book. Well, not phone book, but you know, online. <laughs> Who uses a phone book anymore? <laughs> Um, so we finally got a lawyer. I think they were looking even for somebody that would answer the phone because it was so yeah. early. And the guy was like, all right, I'll put my suit on. It was like six in the morning. He just, they just grilled him all night. It's like 630 in the morning. Ethan was just calling around and came up with Dan's name, Daniel Russo. And Dan ended up being in the office already. The phone rings. I pick it up. He says, my name is Ethan Quinn. My brother's being held by the loyal police. He needs a lawyer right away. I said, okay, uh, I'll put my suit on. Dan Russo is a scrappy fighter. He's the guy you want to represent you if this happens to you. There seems to be a string of blatant lies coming out. He's from the Bronx. He's got a thick accent. He says whatever he wants. He has basically died and gone to hell. I know the police officers, and I say, okay, uh, is he under arrest? Well, if he's not under arrest, it's time to say goodnight, Gracie. And then I took Aaron back to the office, and then he told me the whole story. And it was hard to believe. Grilled him all night. Meanwhile, Muller, the the kidnapper, which they never did find the other guys that helped him, but... They really think he helped him? Well, in the epilogue, it says there was another couple guys that they caught, like literally in the last year or two that were doing these small time, like, you know what I thought was so smart? What? They wore wetsuits. Yes. So they didn't leave any DNA. I was like, oh my gosh, add that to like my perfect crime. They put goggles on her that had like black tape or black coating on them. He stuffed her in a trunk, drove her for four or five hours, and he, t- he took her to Lake Tahoe where he had a cabin. And this was a weird thing. He's actually treating her fairly nice and feeding her. And, you know, this isn't meant for you. This is meant for Jennifer. Um, you know, you just need to make it through this. I'm going to return you in two days. Don't worry, but I'm going to have to have sex with you. I.e. I'm going to have to rape with you, (laughs) rape you. And I got to tape this. And I got to tape this. Well, blackmail on 
her, but then he comes back and he says, Oh God, my partners didn't like that first performance. They want you, they want to have blackmail on me. So I don't rat them out. So we're going to have to do it again. I'm going to have to take your goggles off. So he tapes her eyelids shut with clear tape. So it looks like she's, you know, in ecstasy and like, you know, with her eyes closed. And then he's like, you're, you're going to have to perform, which this fucker's so sick because this is his own thing. Like when they finally did. Police are also speaking with Denise's family. The kinds of questions they're asking seem to insinuate that they think this entire kidnapping might be staged. The detective asked Jane, has anything bad ever happened to Denise? I said, she was molested as a young girl. We were camping. The others had fallen asleep. And this adult kept after Denise. And according to court filings, the detective responds with a shocking theory. Detective Mustard tells me that those that have this molestation happen want to relive it and experience the thrill of it again. I was dumbstruck. Detective Mustard has denied making this statement. She is clearly still alive. And rather than entertain the possibility that, oh my gosh, maybe this story is true, they immediately shift into, well, this must be a hoax. So he returns her after two days and he drives her down to Huntington where her parents, her her mom lived like a block away from her mom's apartment. Uh, her mom wasn't there because I think they had gone creepy how they figured out where to drop her off I know he had been stalking her hardcore so a neighbor helps her the entire time that Denise is kidnapped she's regularly given liquid doses of benzo likely that same sedative that she was given the first night did you ever ask him to let you go I asked him if he was going to hurt me I asked him if he was going to kill me Um, he had said there was no reason for that they also asked in that interview, you know, you were kidnapped for two days. Did they sexually assault you? Were you sexually assaulted or anything like that during this? No. They didn't touch you or do anything to you against your will? No. It's weird because it's all things considered. They treated me really nicely. Although Denise appears to be pretty calm to the officers that are talking to her, she does express fear. She does talk about how she's, she's scared. At one point, she actually says that she thinks she needs to talk to a lawyer. Our detectives are going to have to talk to you. Um, yeah, I wanted to see if, what, about talking with the lawyer first. I continue asking for my parents. I, that's all I want to do is talk to them. You know, I'm asking where are they? Can they? I just really want to speak to them. And then finally, um, my cousin comes in. Hi. Hi. Oh. Seeing someone that I know and love come in finally, oh, I like could finally take a deep breath. Can you give us a couple minutes? Thank you. He just took control of the situation, my cousin, and I finally felt safe. She has left the building with a family member, and at this time, all information is being turned over to Vallejo PD. We're confident that we're going to be able to piece together this puzzle and have a better picture of what really occurred once we speak to Ms. Huskins. The Vallejo police want to interview her as well as the FBI. Nick, her cousin, who is the attorney, starts talking to Detective Mustard. 
And the first thing that Mustard tells them is we'll give immunity to whoever confesses first. She goes to the police department. They tell Vallejo police, oh, yeah, she's back. We found her. Here's their response. Oh, these two staged it. Not even like, oh, thank God she's back. Let's see. Let's hear her story. Oh, you staged it. They And meanwhile, the Vallejo Police Department is going and holding press conferences saying these two owe Vallejo police an apology. They're wasting taxpayer dollars. I mean, they grilled them in the press. She was the gone girl. And then the lawyer came out and was like, do not go on that. They offered you a free ride on the FBI plane. Do not go on it because they're treating you like you guys are criminals. We'll fly you up commercial just to make sure. Yeah. They didn't even take her to the hospital. Nothing like she's medicated. Yeah. So then they she's flying up there. And then that's when the president of the police association, he did step down after this because I did look him up, too, because he was involved in another asshole case. Mm-hmm. It's like definitely a prevalent culture uh-huh. in this particular police department. But he said, yeah, they're no longer victims, but they're now co-conspirators. Or yeah, something? exactly. That's what they ma- Which... made it a huge press conference. And there wasn't even enough information available at this time. She wasn't even examined yet. It becomes very clear to her very quickly that she is actually in a legally precarious situation. It was obvious that I needed to get a defense attorney. The FBI wanted to give her a courtesy flight on their plane. I said, absolutely not. You make sure she gets on a commercial flight and I want her to go directly from the airport to my office. Meanwhile, what's being portrayed to the media is Denise isn't cooperating. We have a plane ready to get her. She turned it down. We have not heard from Ms. Huskins. And they say we've lost contact with her. And we are no longer in contact with any of the family members. And so the nature of the press conference turns very quickly. From this point forward, I would not refer to them as a victim or a witness. It was very clear that the only people being investigated were Aaron and Denise. Police say the kidnapping was a hoax. She didn't get examined until she was up near Vallejo. They didn't even take her to the hospital to get examined until she was all the way up there. And she got a lawyer immediately. And they tried to play each other against this. Against they, they hadn't talked to each other yet. So the police department was saying, take this deal. The first one to take this deal will not be prosecuted. They were willing to prosecute them for a hoax this whole time. And uh, thank God, like, even though they weren't, you know, really locked in as boyfriend and girlfriend, they stuck to their guns and didn't turn on each other, you know, because they loved each other and were like, no, I knew he wouldn't. Oh, I- bitch, I would turn a dime on you in a heartbeat. I don't <laughs> want to go to jail. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it has oh to, like, I, I have to say this because of POW experiences and stuff, because we, they would like brief us on some of this stuff, like in the military and all that. Yeah. I would be the type where I would start questioning my own sanity. Like, did yeah. I dream, especially if I'm on medication and you know, cause you've been on Ambien yeah. just like oh, I have the next happens. day. You're just like, did I really go on and just order all that shit on Amazon? Yeah. You, you know, know what know I mean? What like I would start yeah. questioning my sanity. Like, was I dreaming this? Did, did Aaron set this up to try to get me back? Like I would just start questioning myself. And the weird thing is, is another, uh, another detective that they had investigating or not investigating, questioning her was this guy, detective Sesma who, uh, curiously enough, happened to be the ex-boyfriend of Jennifer. Not a boyfriend, affair. It was Jennifer's ex-affair. I think someone tried to really 
Jennifer. Yeah. No, and he wouldn't. And they told them that they found pictures of him on Facebook, on Jennifer's Facebook, and they wouldn't recuse him. And he didn't recuse himself. They wouldn't get him off the case. That's so inappropriate. I mean, this police department totally fucked these two badly. And they didn't even apologize until a few months ago. It's 2021. This happened in 2015. I read about the apology. The only reason why is because the book was coming out that they yeah. said there had they were promised that if it came out that this was not true, that they would apologize like or, like after the settlement, never even apologized after it was proven. And the only reason why it was such a backhanded because I read the statement it was such a back because it's a new it's a new police chief, but it still was very yeah. like backhanded apology. Yeah. We don't want to be doing this. We still are like doubting you. Meanwhile, the guy Mueller was put away for 40 years and thank God he was so stupid the way he got caught. Otherwise, they would still be under suspicion. I really wouldn't be surprised if the police department didn't pursue charges against them. See, he he didn't even get caught by that police department. He got caught by Misty Caruso, who was part of another police department in a different county. She was investigating a different crime. They, they went to his cabin, right? And they found swim goggles with a blonde hair in it. And she said, these might mean something. She took them. They, they analyzed the hair and it matched Denise's. And that's the only reason he got caught. He didn't get caught because of the Vallejo police. They dropped it. They didn't search it at all. The disappearance of 29-year-old Denise Huskins seemed like a case of real life gone girl. My wife, Amy Elliott Dunn disappeared three days ago. The Hollywood blockbuster about a woman who staged her own kidnapping and magically returned. Police had written it off as a hoax. Our investigation has concluded that none of the claims has been substantiated. Even Nancy Grace at the time questioning her story. Everything about this kidnap screams out hoax. But today, the FBI announcing the arrest of 38-year-old Matthew Muller, saying this man was allegedly behind her kidnapping all along. They have said... Detectives say the alleged kidnapper, seen here in this KDTV Univision video, was a former Marine and Harvard-educated attorney who was practicing as recently as 2012 and recently disbarred. Muller is already in custody, charged with another home invasion, and authorities say there may be even more crimes linked to him. So he had, was doing a home invasion. He was like obsessed with the concept of doing kidnapping crime without real weapons. He was obsessed yeah. with that. Yeah. He put tape on the floor. He put the cameras up, like went in in wetsuit. He was very, the tactical strategy as if he was a Navy SEAL doing an extraction. The police originally put Aaron's phone to kind of backtrack a little. He had to contact the, I think, what was it? The Chronicle, the newspaper to try to get a message to Aaron about the money yeah. because the police had taken Aaron's phone and put oh, on yeah. airplane, mode airplane mode and waiting for the kidnapper to contact. Like that's how yeah. fucking like stupid the police were. So the kidnappers, which ended up being met, Muller emailed Aaron twice with instructions and they never came through and the police department never checked. They didn't come through until they gave Aaron back his phone like two days later or a day and a half later. 
the way that Mueller got caught was he was very obsessed with this idea of home invasion was that he was involved in a home invasion of this couple and he had his phone was dropped behind the toilet. The police department used the phone and they figured out when they called it, a woman answered and said, yes, my son's phone, he lost his phone and that's how they connected to find him. And then that's when they went to Lake Tahoe to, I think the home, I think his mom ended up owning that house and they found it kind of lift a lid. But the interesting thing is it was really hard to find information on him because like I said, we kind of like did research separately. You read the book. I watched the interviews of them. He was a former Marine. Mm -hmm. He uh, served over in Okinawa. Sorry, I mispronounced that. So he served over there. He was in the band, the Marine Corps band, but he worked for supposedly a newspaper off post. I don't, I guess maybe he got permission to work for the paper. Leaves the Marine Corps after four years and his coworkers had said that he was a nice guy, but he was just kind of a little weird. Mm -hmm. Goes to Harvard, becomes a Harvard trained lawyer. Lawyer, yes. (laughs) Yeah, the guy was very smart. And he then went into law firms, but he was getting his, I think he got a fine for not filing properly a green card that he had Mm -hmm. accepted payment for. And then another time they watched him on cameras that he was walking around the office with sleeping bag, Mm -hmm. then would like say he wasn't sleeping at the office. Also some files were taken, but basically I think what was going on is he was starting to have mental illness or psychosis where it's like settling in. Immigration attorney, right? Yeah. That's what he was working at. Could not figure out where some of the other connections were with Mm -hmm how he found Jennifer slash Denise. Hey, uh, Mr. Mueller, Henry Lee from KTVU. People are saying that, yeah, we know the Constitution allows you to confront your accusers, but some people are saying this is odious. It's almost, uh, uh, it makes some people very uncomfortable that you might end up crossing uh, Denise. Your thoughts about their repulsion and how you will ask questions of Denise in what way, sensitively, carefully, how will you do this? Sure. Well, I mean, just by way of background, I really did not choose the time for this at all. I was actually, for my own reasons, trying to get a delay for as long as I could. Um, I'd had some problems back in prison. And so, you know, I got here and my attorney, someone I'd already contracted, was supposed to be handling the case. He was out of the country. The district attorney's office did not want to wait until he was available to do things. Um, so again, this is someone, I think it said something about how oh, I'm timing this for their wedding. I have no control over when this is. I really do not. Um, regarding other things, I really do not want to be the person that, that cross-examines her. I tried to get the judge to appoint an attorney to do that. I kind of thought that was a no-brainer. Um, the judge didn't want to do that. It's not that he wouldn't appoint counsel, period. It's just that in the short time before the hearing, Really, I'm the only one who would know the case well enough to be able to effectively, you know, know the factual background to prepare it in such a short time. Um, but I was just hoping at least to have some other person to just read the questions that I wrote or, or do something um, because I did not want to do that. Um, I guess the judge felt that that was not something that the law was amenable to. So there was really nothing I could do about that. The other aspect about him was that he ends up representing himself in court yes Mm -hmm. and then gets sentenced to 40 years he has since been he's now in mental services unit he's married now he also 
is trying to get out based upon the fact that he does now legal stuff for other inmates. Yeah, him and his wife do it. I hope they don't let him out. (laughs) Yeah, and he's saying that he's being abused in prison and he was raped and all that. Oh, how does it feel? When they sued the city, they got they got a settlement of two point five million, and there was some deal that they were trying to make to get him more of a sentence. And he said he would take the deal if they donated one point five million of that to the Innocence Project. And I'm like, you're not innocent though, dude. Why would they do any money? You're not like wrongfully imprisoned. You did the crime. With raw authenticity, Denise Haskins and Aaron Quinn are telling their story. For so many years, we had a stand by silently as the whole world had misinformed conversations and judgments about the worst moment of our life and and who we are as people. In Victim F, from crime victims to suspects to survivors, the couple details being victimized twice, first by Matthew Muller and then by the Vallejo Police Department and FBI. When Quinn turned to the Vallejo Police Department for help, Detective Matt Mustard interrogated him for hours, suggesting he had murdered Huskins. The frogman obviously didn't do it. So who did it now? Well, it's the guy that I've been sitting here talking to tonight. So now I get out my puzzle pieces and I start figuring out, okay, how do I make it so you look like a monster? When you watch that interrogation video now, what is that like for you? What do you think seeing that? My heart breaks for that person. If they're doing it to me, they're doing it to other people. And I was fortunate not to falsely confess. You want it to stop. You just want it to stop. But I needed their help to find Denise. Quinn submitted to a polygraph, which an FBI agent told him he failed. You know where she is. I don't know where she is. I want you guys to find her. Unless you've been in that room, you really cannot understand what it's like. After terrorizing Huskins for two days at his home in South Lake Tahoe, Muller released her in Southern California near her parents' house. That's when the Vallejo Police Department went from accusing Quinn of murder to accusing the couple of staging an elaborate hoax. It is Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins that owes this community an apology. The city of Vallejo settled a civil lawsuit with the couple for two and a half million dollars. After more than six years, the city of Vallejo and the Vallejo Police Department apologized to the couple in an emailed statement to ABC7 News. Vallejo Police Chief Shawnee Williams writes in part, quote, what happened to Ms. Huskins and Mr. Quinn is horrific and evil. As the new chief of police, I am committed to making sure survivors are given compassionate service with dignity and respect. What is your reaction to that apology? I only apologize after major news outlets are reached out and our book is being released. I think the thing that really matters most is action and showing not just us, but the whole community of Vallejo that um, Vallejo Police Department is dedicated to making changes. Chill, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. 
Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.